This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Remain standing for the reading of the word. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then, Jesus and, uh, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glor glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit at my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they reached Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples left town. A large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want to, me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see and Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. And like Jesus said, I pray now that that seed Derek read fall onto our heart, and it finds good ground, and we grow up, and it produces good fruit. We become who you want us to become, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for being here again today. For those of us that have been saved a while and have been Christians, uh, to, today of what Jesus has put on my heart is a grow-up message. It, it's meant to pull you into a place of maturity, even beyond where you are. Because if God's people aren't maturing, we're failing. 
All right, I'm going to start that over. So hang on, man. I'm just going to back up. Today, for those of you that believe, today's message is a grow-up message. It's meant to mature us. Because if we're not maturing, we're not doing the life God wants us to do. And I think it's easy in the American mentality of church to think as long as we can fill the room up, as long as we can create the hype, as long as we can keep the environment exciting, we must be doing something right. The end result of that, for those of us that have been in the game a long time, you know as well as I do, you cannot sustain the hype all the time. There comes a level where you have to grow up beyond just the superficial shallowness of momentum. You have to mature. You have to become stronger in your faith. And those are hard things to do. Uh, I was not that good at math. My brother is a CPA. My dad as well. My son-in-law, Michael, who leads worship, is finishing up his accounting degree. And he's going for his CPA. And I just didn't get that gene. I did not get the gene that loves numbers. I'm okay. I mean, I can fake it if I need to, but it is a fake. It is a, I just got to stir myself up because nothing about numbers excites me. But through my years of education all the way, you know, through college and then graduate school, I've come to understand this about that. There are certain elementary things that you have to learn and get a hold of before you can even move on. Uh, It doesn't matter how spiritual you get, there are just certain things that are just, it is what it is, and you need to deal with it to move to the next level. And one of those is just mathematics. And and a foundational belief in mathematics is 2 plus 2 is just always 4. And we made a joke, you know, first service, that you can feel like it's 5, wish it was 5, say it's 5, but if you put five on the test, you'll flunk because it's just four. Now, once that's established, two plus two is four, and that's just foundational belief, I can move forward from math and arithmetic, and I can move on into other things. I can move into geometry, algebra, pre-algebra, algebra, trigonometry. I can move from trigonometry into statistics and probabilities. And from that, I can move into calculus. And then from that, you know, kind of one of the higher mass is I can move into lineal algebra. And it's just so deep for me. It's like, it just makes my head hurt. But to go forward with it, I just have to establish basis 101, how to add and subtract. Now, the kingdom of God is the same way. There are things that God has out here for us that literally can blow our mind. And we're like, well, I wonder why I don't see that thing. Because some of that thing we would like to see, such as, oh God of revival, come awaken our city, come revive your people, it's easy to sing about it. It's quite another thing to say, grow me up so I experience that, so that I'm in the middle of that. And I'm watching you use my life to be who I need to be. And one of the reasons we don't see some of those things is we just don't grow up. We stay very shallow, very me-centered with this thing called Jesus. He exists for me, to help me, to bless me, to heal me, to fix me, and all the me things that I really need him to grab hold of. Verse 44 of Mark 10 is a basic 101 kingdom mathematics. 
that until you get this one, everything else is just kind of hard to work through. And here it is. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And that stings a mite. But I have to come to understand that that is what it is to move forward and to grow up. Here's the thought. I would dare say without polling the room that everybody in the room, if you're honest, unless you're really old. The older you are, you kind of have dealt with line one. But most of us 40 years old and under are going to say that line one is pretty true. We all love being first. We won't say that because we're too spiritual. But we feel it because you know as well as I do when you're at Walmart and there's 32 checkouts and the one checkout available is long, you get irritated. I don't want to wait on this. I, I can't believe they have. And then you're posting, do you know that they have 32 checkouts and only one person is working? And then I went to self-checkout and it doesn't even work. Why doesn't it work? Because there's no barcode on the one I got. Have anybody ever done that? You got the one thing that didn't have the barcode, and now it's like, oh, Jesus. I like being first. If you don't believe that, just get on I-20, go into Atlanta, and read the sign that says, wreck on exit 52, expect huge delays. And you're like, oh, God, I hate it. And then you actually have that moment where the real you comes out. Why do these stupid people in Atlanta always have to wreck? Why couldn't I get past the exit before they wreck? Like, you don't even care they wrecked. You just wish they would have wrecked after you made it past the exit. It's like, if you're going to wreck, wreck before. Yeah, oh, gosh. And I don't really care if they're half dead. It just messed my day up. I don't even know them anyway. But, it, man. I don't know if you've had that thought. I've had that thought like, why can't people in Atlanta drive? Why? Because I like to be first. If you don't believe that's true, just be late. See how many red lights you hit and watch the firstness come out. I like to hit every green light. I like things to go well. So Jesus just kind of says whoever wants to be, and I think from his thinking, he just means everybody in the room. So everybody in the room likes being first. I've met few people that just go, dude, I love dead last. It's the best place in the world to be. He's the loser, the guy that comes in last, the pudgy kid that never gets picked. That's me. Now, here's what he says that throws me for a loop in my, you know, just my understanding of theology of Jesus and making him work in my life. He says, everyone must be the slave, or everyone who wants to be first must be the slave of everyone else. And when I read that, it just kind of throws me for a loop because... I don't want to read that. I want to read it this way. And everyone who wants to be first, Mark, must be the slave, comma, of the people that I can fit in my schedule, of the people I agree with. I don't want to be the slave of everyone because there's some people I just don't like. I don't have time. I don't have the energy. I just want to be slave to the people that I feel like I can fit in. I don't want to have everyone else because that means I've got to deal with me. I don't mind being a slave every Easter and every Christmas and putting my slave shirt on that says believers and then going out with a group of slavers and serving soup to somebody. I feel good. 
I did my slave job. I put on a shirt. I took some selfies. Boom, slave day. Boom, slave day. Boom, it's me, baby. I'm out here serving people. And then we feel good. Our, our guilt goes away for a while. We feel like I did my religious duty on Christmas. I took food to somebody. I took presents to little kids. I feel so good. I did my slave thing to people I didn't even know. But the reality is, Jesus, I, this is just my take. I think Jesus is up there going, yeah, good you. Proud of you. So great you are. Hey, now that you've done that and you've worn your shirt and taken your selfies for your, your church to show how great y'all are in your community, I would like to know over the other 365 days if I could still use you as a slave. It's like, oh, God, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to be considered a slave of everyone for the other 365 days because that gets in my way. It, it interrupts my schedule. It, Oh, man, it just, I don't know. But go to verse 52 because I want to show you where Jesus is heading. And Jesus says to Bartimaeus, go for your faith has healed you. Would you dare believe today that Jesus would love to use you to bring healing to somebody that needs him. But to get to that point, to get to verse 52, we have had to work through 52 verses of people issues. All the people Jesus is going to meet in chapter 10 that are going to try to hinder this one moment of life coming to a very desperate man. And everything is going to try to stop that moment from that happening. So here's what I want to give you as we get ready to launch into it. It's a thought. So it's a statement. And uh, I wrote it down. It'll come up on the screen. If you don't know how to handle people, you will miss moments God wants to use you. Right. If you don't know how to handle people, you are going to miss the moments in life where God desperately wants to use you. Because the, the real 101 math here, God desires me to be a slave of everyone. Why? Because in the category of everyone, there are some who will grab a hold of life. And I have to be willing to be that vessel of life to everybody. Because that's where I'm headed. That's, that, that's the real moment of Mark 10 is this blind dude gets healed, but it doesn't start out so romantic. Like this is the romantic side of Christianity. A dude gets healed because of me. But to get to that point takes great maturity. Because to get to a point where God is using you in moments of your day to bring hope and healing to other people You've got to learn how to handle people in the journey. So let's just kind of go through the chapter and figure out what kind of people we've got to deal with. Verse 1 and verse 2. Here's the first group of people. Let's read it. Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him, and as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Here's the elementary first group of people. If you want God to use you, you've got to deal with. Here they are. It's the people who want to trap you. It's the people who have nothing in their life but to manipulate you. 
And you just need to know that there are human beings on this planet who are professional manipulators. They will use you, abuse you, gossip about you, talk about you, have agendas about you, criticize you. And if you don't know how to deal with these people, you will never become who God wants you to be. You will get stuck on them. You will get stuck in their gossip, stuck in their criticism, stuck in their meanness toward you. It's almost, I don't know if you've met these people, but it's almost as if the devil hired them to bother you. Like that's their one thing. Here's the weird thing. These people right here were the religious people. They were the Pharisees. They're the guys that knew all the scriptures. They're the guys that are spooky religious. And one thing I've known about Christians, we can be professional manipulators. Because we tag things like God said, the Holy Spirit told me so. Because we're great at using spiritual words to manipulate people. We use guilt to manipulate people. Preachers do it well. I can't believe you're not serving. Everybody that loves Jesus ought to be serving on a team. And you're like, God, I guess I do love Jesus. How about I better serve? So I'm not serving. Maybe I don't love Jesus. I thought I loved Jesus, but he says if I'm serving, I'm... And now I start serving because I, I feel guilty. And then the biggie is money. I can manipulate you into giving me your money. Because we are professional manipulators as humans. Don't you know that God wants you blessed? Yes, I do, preacher. Well, then you should tithe because if you don't tithe, man, the devil could get you because tithing closes the door to the devil and you need to tithe. And man, everybody, and matter of fact, if you want to be in leadership, you have to be a tither because if you want to lead in this church, you've got to give me a minimum of 10% of your money because that shows me where the trueness of your heart is by giving me your money. How many of you ever love the devil to be destroyed in life? Well, give me your tithe. They're like, yes, I love that because I do believe in tithing. But if I'm not careful, I can manipulate you into giving, and it's not even done in faith. It's done out of fear. It's done because I want to be part of a leadership team. It's done because I want to be part of a group that manages something. And all through Christianity, you have to learn how to deal with the people who want to manipulate you. They have no agenda but their own. This is base level 101, lowest of humanity, are the manipulators. And some people, if you've been in the game long enough, are professional at it. (laughs) We're professional manipulators. Husbands can manipulate kids. Kids can manipulate parents. Wives can manipulate a husband. An ex can manipulate you. A friend can manipulate you. And I'm trying for God to use me, but I'm getting stuck in this group of people who irritate me and gossip about me and criticize. Group number two. Verse seven, I believe it is. Let me find it. Verses 13 and 14. And let's read it together. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. And I love this. But the disciples scolded the parents, and we'll hold it right here, for bothering him. The second group of people is a Christian to grow up. You've got to learn how to deal with people who bother you. 
and they do nothing but irritate you. It's your phone. Oh my God, it's them again. Jesus, it's all the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. These people are the people who won't call you for two months. And then they call you. And the moment they call you, you already know they don't care about you. They need something. That's why they're calling you. You answer, hey, man, yo, bro, what's up? What's up with you, man? Oh, nothing. And then they go through the ritualistic, I ain't called you in three months, but you're special to me. And I, you've really been on my heart lately. And you're like, yeah, bro, just get over it. I know you're not even thinking. You just need, what do you need, my lawnmower? Do you need my, what do you, chainsaw, my truck, my rent? What do you need? I mean, just get to the bottom of it. Because there are people on the planet as if they have your special number and do nothing but irritate you. Call you at the wrong time. Never follow through. Just always hear God. Every time you get a text, I can't get them to go away. It's just like, gee, I don't even. So I, what I do, rather than letting God use me, the people that bother me call me to pull back and go, man, I just don't have time to be bothered today. I mean, I just really don't have time to have this phone call right now. I just really don't have time for this person right now. I mean, I got, I got a, man, I got a full schedule here. And so when we bump into people that bother you, it's really easy just to kind of shy away from even ever letting God use you because one of the greatest gifts of many of us in the room is we're great at irritating people. It's a professional thing we do to bother some, And I guarantee you most of us in this room right now already have that person in our contact list. It irritates you, that bothers you. It, it might be an ex-lover. It might be an old friend. It, it might be a boss. It might, it might be a, a, a nosy person. It, it, it's just, it could be a neighbor. It could just be any, any human that just is in my way today, messing me up. It's the dad-blamed person that gets in front of me in line, and when they get there, acted like they don't have to pay. My Lord, did you really think for the first time in human history you were going to come to Starbucks and they weren't going to ask for money? They get up there and they're like, this will be $2. Oh, oh yeah, oh, okay, okay. And I'm like, you, shouldn't you have already had it out? Like, why are you looking for the payment now? You should have accomplished that in the car. You should have already come in with payment in hand. Not fumbling through your purse like you're looking for the lost city of gold. <laughs> Pay the bill and move on. It's amazing how little things can just bother you because people aren't doing what you need them to do. They just bother you, that irritate you, that are in you, and they're not even related to you. They're just put in your way to remind you there's no hope for humanity at all. You're sitting there at a, at a red light. The red light turns green. You don't know because you're using it as an opportunity to break the law and text. So you're texting, looking around, making sure nobody sees you on your phone. And then the light turns green. And all of a sudden, it would be as if the planet is coming to an end. Because it's been green for two seconds. But you 
who won't go the moment it turns green bothers me. You should have been watching it. It's going to turn green. It always turns green, usually. And if it doesn't, go through it anyway because I'm in a hurry. <laughs> Run the red light. Just people bother me. Red light people bother me. People who aren't prepared bother me. And if I'm not careful, I can literally become so self-consumed with me, my time, my schedule, my, my calendar, the things i got to accomplish today, the stuff that's on my brain. I don't ever have time to be the life of God because, man, people are just bothering me today. And I think that a lot of this is elementary math because manipulators and irritators are Mathematics 101. They are everywhere. It's like, Lord, I just run into them all the time. And so rather than me being the life of Jesus to someone, which you have to grow up to do, I get stuck in these people issues. The third group of people that comes along is in verse 17 through 22. It's getting a little deeper here because now we're moving into it's going to really take you some maturity to get past them. These first group of people, the manipulators and the irritators, eh, you know, I'm good with them or without them. I can, grow, I, I can ignore them. I can move on. I can block them. I can be, defriend them. But the other two levels will force you to grow up. Let's read it. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Here's the third group you got to go through to grow up, and this is a tough one. It's the people who disappoint you. They do nothing but fail you. These aren't random strangers who won't go through a red light. These aren't the people who weren't prepared to pay at Starbucks. The person who drives in the fast lane slowly. The person that just gets on your nerves at work. These people are the ones who are a little closer to you that you had high hope for. And they consistently fail you. It's the pastor that you love dearly that did you wrong. It's the husband that you thought would never fail you, but he did. It's the wife that was the love of your life who walked in one day and said, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. It's over. It's the child that you've so believed in, but they just keep running to themselves, chasing their own stupidity, and you as a parent are just hurt over and over and over by them. You weep at night, you cry at night, because this level is way beyond elementary mathematics. This level is running into 
you better grow up or you're going to be so hurt you'll be dysfunctional for Jesus. You won't be able to serve in church. You're too hurt. You won't ever be able to trust a pastor again or God's people again. You won't ever be able to trust a marriage again. You won't ever be able to trust love is even real. You won't be able to trust anything because your dad left your mom and now you're bitter because of the divorce. You're mad because God failed you because your parent died and he didn't answer a prayer. You've been disappointed. And disappointment is a deep, deep hurt. The Bible says that Jesus genuinely felt love for this guy and the guy walked off anyway. There's no greater hurt than to have genuine love for someone and they fail you. The, the, the tears that a mother will shed when a child walks their own path. The pain that I meet people in my journey with Jesus that have been so disappointed by other Christians. Disappointed by, by, by leaders that they were really close to. And it's just a hard one to get over, but I'll help you. To really be the life of God, you just are going to have to understand no human is perfect and some of them will always disappoint you. No human is Jesus Christ. And they can and maybe will disappoint you. But you cannot get stuck there. Because if you get stuck there, you will never be the person that can bring life to other people. You will always be a skeptic. You will always have excuses. You will always say, well, I don't know if I want to go that deep anymore because I got hurt so bad. I don't know if I really want to sell out anymore because you know what they did to me. And you know, this is especially true for those of you that really try to get your friends to walk with God or someone else and you pour your whole soul into them and then overnight realize how, how much of a disappointment they've been. And it's easy just to cower down and suck your thumb and go, is it even, use, is it even worth the effort? Well, just forgive them. I have. I've forgiven them a thousand times and they keep doing it over and over because this is not some random stranger. This is the person that shows up around your dinner table. This is the person that just fails you that you had great hopes for. And you have to learn how to handle these people. You have to learn not to get stuck in their failure. You have to learn not to cause yourself to give up and go, well, it's just no use. But in the weirdest of ways, not even Jesus chased the rich guy down. He just said how hard it is. Because even in the life of Jesus Christ, he realizes that some people will just never receive his life. But don't become bitter and don't shut off life in you. And here's the final one. It gets really, uh, this is probably what I would call the highest level, is verse 32. And 33. It's probably one of the deepest hurts of humans. They were now on their way to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And the disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. To me, for you to be a servant of everyone and let the life of God use you, 
you've got to know how to get over people who betray you. And man, is this hard. Because these aren't random strangers, casual friends. These are the closest of the close. This is the best friend you confided into and swore they would forever keep your secret, but they did you wrong. This is the girlfriend that hurt you and slept with your best friend. This is the wife that ran off and left you. This is the husband. This is that deep, deep, deep emotional connection of the person you were so bound to in relationship. The love was deep. The person that betrayed Jesus was part of his inner circle. These people are your inner circle people. These people you've eaten with, you've cried with, you've slept with, you've traveled with, they've been on vacation with you. They know your deepest, darkest secrets. They know everything about you. You've given and bore your soul to them, and then they betray you. They break your confidence. They don't live up to the expectations. You had them so high on a pedestal that they failed you and you cannot get past that betrayal. They should have called you, but they didn't call you. They should have reached out to you, but they didn't reach out. They should have kept their mouth shut, but they didn't keep their mouth shut. They failed me in every way. They hurt me in every way. And I find that few people can ever get over this because once you get to betrayal, it takes a solid core, mature person to walk that one out. Babies don't get past this one. You have to have somebody in your life stronger than you to pick you up and go, come on, bro, we're going to walk out of this storm. Because most people who get betrayed and are alone can never get past the betrayal. It affects their personality. It affects their decisions. It affects their emotions. It affects their trust. It affects their expectations. It impacts their marriage. It impacts their sleep. It does everything because they get stuck. Because you have to get through it to become the life of God. This group of people keeps you up all night. This group of people keeps you from ever becoming intimate again. This group of people keeps you from ever having another best friend. This group of people keeps you from ever plugging into church again, to ever getting married again, to ever trusting life could go well again because of the betrayal. This is the kid that looks at the dad and says, or her husband and says, I don't know if I'll ever trust you because of what my dad did to my mom or my mom did to my dad. And so now because the betrayal was so deep, everybody in my future is going to pay the price for that. And this becomes a deep, deep root of a people issue you have to get over. You see, the chapter ends romantically. Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals a blind man. But the chapter doesn't start out romantically. The chapter starts out realistically. That to get to the romance of seeing healing, you got to get through people who are trying to trap you. People who are bothering you. People who are abusing you and manipulating you and disappointing you. And now people who betray you. But if you'll stay in the game, if you'll learn to not give up, if you'll learn to keep pressing forward, if you'll learn to find healing, if you'll learn to find forgiveness, if you'll learn to let God be God, you can step past this moment and into the life of Jesus Christ. 
Because as you watch the chapter play out, you see clearly that Jesus is moving his whole team toward this. Now watch, this is where it gets brilliant. Uh, I think I don't know where it's at. Let me pull it up. I think it's like verse 52. So let me just get it because it's I didn't have this in my thought. Verse 48. Watch this. Why would anybody that's a human tell a blind dude that's desperate to just be quiet? Why wouldn't you want somebody to find freedom? Why wouldn't you want somebody to find you? Why wouldn't you want the blind guy who's been blind his whole life to be well? Why are you so arrogant to tell him to be quiet? Where in God's name has your arrogance took over to tell the desperate guy to shut up? And I'll tell you why. It's because as Jesus is walking through the myriad of human possibility to be hurt and disappointed and disillusioned and irritated and bothered and betrayed, there's other people in humanity that never get there. So they just tell the person, shut up and be quiet. Get off my back. I don't have time for you and neither does the preacher. Neither does the teacher. Leave him alone. Why? Because their, their world view is people can bother us and we want to not serve everyone but just certain ones. And how many of us in our religiosity walk through life and people and opportunities are screaming, man, I need hope, I need help, but I'm so disillusioned and hurt and mad and upset and ticked off that I just put a hand up to the people that need hope. Because I don't have time right now, bro. I've been hurt. I've been done wrong. I don't know if I trust it. I don't know if I trust that again. I don't know if I trust church again, preachers again, people again, marriage again. I, I just put a hand up to the need of the world. And don't you think it's interesting that the end of the chapter ends this way. One hand telling them to shut up and another hand saying, Hey man, what do you need me to do for you? And one thing stands true. If you don't know how to handle people, you will be the hand that says, Bro, just be quiet. I, I mean, I'm too bothered, hurt, messed up, mad, ticked off, busy to really let the life of God flow. So just shh. Or the question of what Jesus said. Son of David, have mercy. Verse 49. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Verse 49. Bartimaeus throws aside his coat, jumps up and comes to Jesus. Here it is. What do you want me to do for you? And that is the question I want to ask you. How many people are needing God, but because of your hurt, frustration, botheredness, and experience with humans in your life, it's hard for you to ever say, what do you want me to do for you? Because I'm afraid to say that, because what if they hurt me? What if they disappoint me? What if they betray me? What if they talk about me? What if they die? Oh, Jesus. And Jesus had to teach us a valuable lesson of how to be a slave to everyone. You always have to make sure you're willing to do whatever needs to be done. Well, what if they betray me? Okay. Well, what if they irritate me? What if they bother me? Here's what I say now. The longer you walk with God, 
you grow up enough to know, you know what, man? The people that try to manipulate me, I'm good. It doesn't bother me. The people who are trying to bother me now and I'm at Starbucks, I'm like, man, I've grown up enough with God. I don't, I'm not giving people the middle finger on the highway. I don't honk my horn at people. I don't, I don't get on somebody's bumper to teach them they shouldn't have cut me off. I mean, you know, I've already, I've already grown past that level of math, kingdom math. That's elementary kingdom math for you to tailgate somebody that irritates you and honk at them. And I've grown up through that. I've been there. And, you know, I'm doing better. I've kind of matured. It was a hard test, but I did make the disappointment test for people that have hurt me and failed me. And, man, I'm, I'm stronger because I've noticed the more you go with Jesus and mature, it's a little easier to deal with elementary issues with people. But I will say, always know that the likelihood that a human can hurt you, disappoint you, fail you, and betray you is high. But don't let it stop you asking the question to humanity, what do you want me to do for you? How can I serve you? Can I pray for you? Can I let the Jesus in me bring you hope? The weird thing about the chapter that we know is really it was only Bartimaeus who found the healing. But Jesus had to press through all of that to get to the one. So here's what I want to ask you. How many Bartimaeuses are in your 50 feet that you're missing because of all the other human issues you hold? How many opportunities to bring life are you missing because you're too busy? You don't want to be bothered. You, you're live. I'm not asking you to go out and just start screaming at the top of your lungs to every human that walks by about the life of Jesus. I'm just asking you, can you get over your people issues so that during the day of every day you're alive, you're always listening for the cry of the one Bartimaeus? You're always listening for, is this that person that I need to be available to? And I don't categorize them in other kind of people that have betrayed me. I'm just always willing to listen. Bow your head, if you will. And I want to give you a moment to think that through. The whole point of today is that God wants to use you. And He wants to use you to bring hope to people. And the devil knows that as well. So he uses people to stop you from being the life of Jesus. He uses people against you so that you try to silence all of the opportunities. Because you've become too critical now. You're a skeptic now. You're hurt now. You have walls up now. As a matter of fact, you're in your safe place because nobody will ever do that to me again. Your husband is paying the price. Your wife is paying the price. Your children are paying the price. The people you work with are paying the price. Why? Because you've silenced the life of God. You've said, be quiet. And I'm simply asking this today. Would you mature enough, wherever you fall in those categories, would you mature enough to walk toward the next one? Would you mature enough to say, you know, maybe today, I need to quit letting people bother me so much. Maybe today you need to move a category up and say, you know, today I just need to get over all the people that have 
manipulated me and stabbed me in the back and I need to move forward. Or maybe today you're like, you know what, man, I've been so disappointed. And I've held that against people. I've held it against my dad. I've held it against my mom. I've held it against my ex. I've held it against my boss who fired me. I've held it against a lover, a friend, a best friend, a pastor. God, help me grow up. Help me be used by you. You see, if you don't understand how to deal with people, it's hard to offer hope to people. And that's my heart today, is that you will walk out willing to risk it to offer hope to people. And if you're part of this house, willing to risk it to go deeper with God, to grow up and to mature together so we can really touch a generation for Jesus. And if you love Jesus, but yet during your day, you're throwing a hand up more often that says, be quiet. I would just ask this week, throw up another hand that says, what can I do for you? And that might come in a line. It might come at the grocery store. It might come at work. But I guarantee you, if you'll just simply say, Lord, use me this week. God will bring a Bartimaeus across your path, a co-worker, a person. Lord, use me. God may speak to you to do something incredible, to trust Him. Don't let fear, don't let disappointment, don't let hurt, don't let irritations, don't let manipulations rob you of the life God wants to put through you. Father God, right now, I just ask that you touch our hearts. I ask that this word would find good ground. Now, where you are in your seat, in just a moment we're going to come and end with communion and our giving. But right now in your seat, I need you to maybe grab that person in your mind, that friend, that lover, that parent, that husband, that wife, that co-worker, that random stranger. And I need you to say, Father, where am I in this kingdom maturity? And maybe you need to forgive someone today. Maybe you've held on to a hurt long enough. And you're holding on to it thinking if I hold on to it, it's going to keep me safe. But it's not keeping you safe. It's hurting you. It's keeping you from really being free. Would you be willing just to pray a prayer during communion? Father, I forgive them. They don't owe me anything. Maybe they themselves were struggling in life and you became part of their mess. And Maybe they didn't even know they meant to do it, but they did it anyway. Maybe they did it on purpose. Either way, will you be willing to bring it to the table of Jesus and say, I forgive them? Because in that chapter where the betrayal was the hardest, he would be betrayed to die. He would be betrayed into the hands of sinners. He overcame the betrayal with his life. And that's what we have a chance to do today. Now with that person in mind, that event in mind, that moment of your life that you may be stuck in, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'll ask you to stand up with me, if you will. And as you're standing, you're going to prepare your heart to come for communion. We have our prayer teams beside the communion tables and by the walls. We'd love to pray with you. If you're new with us, here's how we end. This is the moment where I've done what I can do. Derek's read the word. Michael's led us in worship. But now it's our time to come and respond. Those of us that are part of this house respond with giving. We respond with tithing. It's our way to say thank you, Jesus, for being my resource.
And everybody in the house, we ask to respond in communion. It's where you say, God, what have you spoken to me today? And I take this and I lay it down at your feet. So as you come and do communion today, who is the person you need to forgive? What is the moment? And as you partake of communion, grab a hold of responsibility that when you walk out the door, today was more than a sermon. Today was more than just a moment on Sunday. I pray that it will be life changed to where you will offer life to people where you won't be the be quiet person, but you will be, what can I do for you today? And let Jesus use you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. At the end of the prayer, you may come and partake of communion. You may kneel. You may receive prayer. Go back to your seat. Be dismissed if you like. We just like to make room for the Holy Spirit to work here for a while in Jesus' name. Pray this with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, today I choose to grow up. So I forgive anybody this ever wronged me they owe me nothing I forgive the stranger who irritates me I forgive the person that bothers me I forgive the person that has disappointed me who's failed me who has betrayed me they owe me nothing I bless them and I ask you to do the same Lord Jesus come into my heart now and cleanse me with your hope in Jesus name. Amen. You may come and pray. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believers Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believers Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen@mybelieverschurch.com. At Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 